Good morning, Three Rivers Community Church. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad you are here. Um, don't forget, uh, if you're a member uh, of Three Rivers Community Church, uh, you've signed the covenant and you have placed yourself under covenant uh, relationship with other people here. You are by default the greeter. And, uh, and if, you've been, if you've been once or twice, it's your first time, second time, you're a guest and we want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. And, uh, and please make yourself at home. If you're a member, don't forget you're by default the greeter, so greet those around you. And you may never know, someone may be a guest, and you make sure you reach out to them and make them feel welcome. And that will be awesome, because you'll be representing Jesus well at that point. And so uh, this morning we're going to continue our study through Second Timothy. We're in chapter 2, verse 8 through 13. Uh, and, and the theme of this passage is very simply, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Um, hey, don't forget, uh, September 23rd, we'll start Wednesday nights in here, TRCCU, and, um, and don't forget, if you have a Radical Life group, you're not allowed to come to that. Um, if, you, uh, if you don't have one, you are welcome. Uh, if you're new in the faith and need to grow in some areas, by all means, feel free to come. Uh, we're going to focus on some really neat things and, and have a good time together. We're going to disciple and grow. Uh, we're going to learn to hear the Lord. And we're going to learn to obey the Lord. And so it's how, we, how we're going to roll with T-R-C-C-U, okay? And so just so you know that, that's coming up September 23rd, Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, right here in this room. And by the way, if you show up to that, I'm going to teach you how to multiply a group. If groups aren't multiplying, they're not functioning properly. So if you come to that, I'm going to be expecting you in the not-too-distant future to be multiplying into other radical life groups, okay? So this, this is crazy people. People really want to get it done, all right? So show up. I expect about three of us, and so should be fun. And if the Lord blesses with more, even better, all right? Um, let me pray. Father, this morning, for the glory of Jesus and for the advancement of his kingdom, we ask, we ask, we ask that you would make your name great today. Holy Spirit, we entrust to you your word and believe that you are more than capable of taking it and running with it and doing with it in every life what needs to be done. So we entrust that ministry to you. That is your job. And the Lord Jesus said you would pull that off and we know you do all things well. So we entrust that to you now. Bow the knee to you and trust you with this time. And we do that in Jesus' name. Amen. I had this thought late yesterday, so I went and typed this into my notes, my outline. Um, they're not on the blog, and so you're not going to see these if you're looking for these words. They're not there. They're in addition to just a thought. Because as we come to the time of preaching, you've got to keep in mind, preaching is not the transfer of information. It, it's a time encountering the Lord personally. This is, this is not information transfer. It is encountering the Lord. It is tasting the eternal rule of Jesus Christ in a concentrated moment. God does supernatural things in these times. This is why I tell you, don't neglect the Hebrews 10.25, the gathering together of believers corporately and in your, in your radical life groups because it's in those moments great things happen corporately. And so if you neglect this time, it is to your detriment. It is not to your benefit. You may think that something else is being accomplished and you're pillaging your soul. And don't hear that as like guilt trip come to church. Hear that as happy Jesus does things among his happy people when they're together. And why would we not want that, right? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I say that to say this. Eternal life, and this is that's not in the notes, but I want to set the stage with this. John 17, 1 to 3, eternal life, present tense is not something we get later. Eternal life is what we experience now in the kingdom rule of Jesus presently. Listen, if all, and you see this on bumper stickers, right? I'm not perfect, just forgiven. If, if all Jesus is, is forgiveness, what do I do between now and death? Can I hang out? Right? Maybe go to a Bible study every now and then, Right? Maybe listen to my favorite podcast. What do I do with my life, right? Eternal life is now, meaning I live in the kingdom rule of Jesus, the supernatural work of the kingdom now. I taste the rule of Jesus now. Listen, if you're in Christ, Jesus reigns in this room. And now because he has renewed you and placed his spirit in you, you can walk up underneath that rule. As we talked about last week, be carried along by the spirit of God. Supernatural things. This is, this is, and by the way, just, this is where this is going before we pop into the text. 
look for this trend. God is doing this work in His church in the West. Learning to taste the rule of Jesus daily. He has a kingdom. He is the king of that kingdom. And it's not manifested in the United States of America or any other country. Those will fall under His rule in the future. But He rules now. And you step up underneath His rule, you will be carried along in supernatural empowerment and ability to walk in Him, resist sin, have victory over sin, to taste His power at work in and through your daily living. Guys, that is a reality of eternal life, present now. And when you walk into this room and you bow the knee to Jesus, you're walking into some supernatural stuff. That's kind of fun. Right? And so this isn't just transfer of data. This is encountering the resurrected Christ. Okay? Isn't that fun? That's good stuff. That's good stuff. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at His Word. We're going to trust the Lord to pull off great things as we look at His Word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8-13. through 13. Remember the theme is remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Let me read. Verse 8 through 13, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure We will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remember what Paul has written to Timothy in the church at Ephesus to do? Guard the gospel. Guard this message. Guard this truth. And if they're going to guard the gospel, as we looked at last week, they're going to have to entrust this good news, this message of the kingdom to faithful people in the church who will be its propagators. You remember that? The propagation of the Great Commission, the propagation of the kingdom of God is not on the spiritual elite. It is on all those who walk under the banner and kingdom rule of Jesus Christ. And so we entrust the gospel to those who are faithful with the gospel that you may make it known and make disciples in every domain of society. So if we're going to guard it, we've got to entrust it, right? We don't hoard it. It is to be entrusted. Just a little church history for you. You know some of the greatest expansions of the kingdom of God in church history has been when the word of God has been put in the hands of God's people and they carry it wherever they go. It's Acts, right? The apostles stayed at Jerusalem and the church was scattered and everywhere they went, they went about preaching the gospel, right? Not the apostles, all of us. So we entrust it to the faithful in the church. But they're also going to have to share in suffering with Jesus. That's part of this work of the kingdom. And we looked at that last week. You can go back and look at the notes and listen to the online stuff. They're going to have to be like a good soldier who is single-minded in their devotion. They're going to have to be like an athlete who puts in the hard work to win. They have to be like the hard-working farmer who does the mundane, repetitive labor in order to see the fruit of their labor. It's one of the things he told us here in this illustration of the farmer is a lot of kingdom work is mundane. It's not those moments, those hilltop moments. It's that mundane daily trudging. But we get to taste the fruit of the kingdom. And so he tells them, if you're going to guard the gospel, this is what you're going to have to do. But now Paul's going to remind Timothy, he's going to remind these Christians at the church at Ephesus that if they're going to guard the gospel, they're going to have to remember some things. So we start out, number one, what are they going to remember? If they're going to guard the gospel, what do they need to remember? Number one, verse eight, remember the gospel. Remember the good news of the kingdom. God is absolutely, completely into remembering things. God is all about remembering things. And the reason God's about remembering things is because we as fallen creatures have a tendency to do what? Forget. We get caught up in the daily grind of things and we get tunnel vision on our little problems and our little things and we have a tendency to forget the large scope of the good news of the kingdom. And we see all through the Bible, God does things to remind His people so that they might remember His work. There's a few illustrations here 
I've given uh, in the notes, and I'll just share them with you very quickly. Is the Passover, right? In Exodus chapter 12, verse 26 and 27. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Right? He gave them the Passover so that they would have an instrument in their hands to remember. So when the children say, hey, what does all this mean? He said, you shall say. You don't have to make it up. He says, you shall say. So just say what he said to tell them, right? You shall say. It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for He passed over the houses of the people in the land of, or, or the past. He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when He struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So when they took of the Passover, they were reminded of the faithfulness of the Lord that God will take care of the enemies, and He will preserve His people. Remember what I did for you. Even when we get to Exodus chapter 20, right? The Ten Commandments. He starts with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Remember? You're mine. Now act like it. And He gives them ten ways to act like they're His people. He gives us the law, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, and the following verses, and then 20 through 23. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And when your sons ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and the rules the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders and great and gr- great and grievous in Egypt and against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. Remember the law. Why? Because I made you my people and I gave you this so that I might take you into my land and you might be my people. Now, I'm preaching on that passage. There's, that's loaded with beautiful gospel realities. Notice what he didn't say. I gave you this law so that you learn to just freaking get your life in order. Now, I brought you here and I gave you this law so that I can give you a land. So I can give you the kingdom. Crossing Jordan, right? Joshua 4, 5 to 7. They go through the middle. I'm not going to read the passage. And they get through the middle. And what does he tell them? Go back and get 12 stones each representing the 12 tribes, and set them up here so that when your children ask, what do these stones mean? You're to tell them, it's when we pass through the water, the Lord calls it to stop up. Why? So that they might remember, remember, remember. Why? Because they're going to forget. And you read your Old Testament, you recognize they forget a lot. Hey, don't throw rocks. We do too. We forget very easily the scope of God's sovereignty, the scope of God's goodness, the scope of the gospel and kingdom rule of Jesus Christ. And then we take that mantle on ourselves to be king and we step outside of His sovereign supernatural rule. We wonder why we get worn out and burned out and tore up. That's because we're operating in our strength, not His kingdom strength. Not the supernatural power of the Spirit of God moving us along to His ends. We're just like them, right? And so God says, remember, if you're going to guard the gospel, if you're going to guard the good news of the kingdom, you're going to have to remember the good news of the kingdom. And what have we seen so far in 2 Timothy? It's been filled with encouragements to remember. Remember he told him in chapter 1, verse 3, remember the faith of your forefathers. You're not new at this, Timothy. You're not pioneering anything here. It's just one of the reasons we do Christian biographies here on All Saints Day is to put in front of you dead people who have plowed the way for you that you're not new to this. This isn't fresh for you. It's not like you're unique. Sorry to bust your like Western bubble of being unique and special. You're not. There have been a lot of people who's come before you who've lived the faith out and died faithful. And you can imitate their example. And so Paul writes and he tells Timothy, remember your forefathers who've done this already? Be like them. It's okay. Remember their faith, Timothy. So he's reminding them, remember, 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 remember. Lest you think that you are special in how you're wrestling to walk with the Lord, go read some Christian biographies and realize, dude, they, I can learn from their life. Yes, you can. Remember those of the faith who've gone on before you. Think this year I'm going to do Johann Sebastian Bach. I knew Miss Ivory would be first fired up. So, Soledad Gloria signed all of his music. He believed that music would be, was for the glory of God and the consoling and joy of the human soul. 
and cat composed, not Christian music, just music. There ain't no such thing as Christian music. There's music. It's God's. And it's to His glory or not. Right? And you don't have to say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus in the middle of the lyrics to be Christian. You understand that? I hope you get that. Right? Thank Greg. We've got some musicians here. So we're going to look at how people have done this in the past. Composing, cutting edge stuff, man. Why? Because the Spirit of God, the creative Spirit of God dwells in His people. And He's gifted people with certain things. They're not supposed to leave that realm. They're supposed to take it over. That's Jesus' domain. Rule it well. Right? And so don't forget the faith of those who've gone before us. Remember. Remember in chapter 1, verse 4. Remember their mutual deep friendship and fellowship. Chapter 1, verse 5, remember the deep spiritual heritage that he has. Chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, remember his gifting. Listen, your gifting, this is a beautiful thing about spirit gifting, is it's just not always going to be coursing through your veins 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You've been here long enough, you know this because we say this to you often. Your spirit gifting is for other people, and it's not going to be present unless you're serving other people. So if you're looking for a spiritual high hanging out in your dorm room or spiritual high at your house, stop. Jesus will gift you, Holy Spirit will gift you to serve others when you're around others who are in the same covenant boat with you. And so, Timothy, fan your gift in the flame, bro. Remember the gifting. Remember when I laid hands on you and the Spirit gifted you to go do this work at the church at Ephesus? Don't forget that. Fan it in the flame, Timothy. Get after the task. Right? Remember, Timothy, remember. Remember the pattern of sound words. Chapter 1, verse 13. Remember the wisdom I gave you? Remember how I taught you to do pastoral ministry? Don't forget, Timothy. Don't forget why. Because we forget. Now Paul comes here in this passage and he has to insist that Timothy and the church at Ephesus remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. What's interesting here, for the rest of the book of, of uh, 2 Timothy, Paul's going to refer to Jesus Christ as Christ Jesus. This is the only place he puts Jesus in front of Christ. And there's a reason. Okay? God uses language and even uses structure of language to communicate really cool things. That's why in, in, in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, in the Proverbs, he uses Hebrew poetry that rhymes in thought, not sound, right? So when you read that and you're going, oh, geez, he said the same thing twice. Right? Just a different way. He's rhyming in thought. That's why Hebrew poetry works, right? And so God does that kind of stuff. And so here, all through the book, he's going to refer to Jesus as Christ Jesus. But here he refers to him as Jesus Christ. And there's a reason. He calls him Jesus Christ on purpose so that that will correspond to the two major components he wants Timothy and the Ephesians to remember about Jesus. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David. So if, if I had a board here, the teacher in me would go to the dry erase board and I would write Jesus Christ. And then under Jesus I would write risen from the dead. Right? And under Christ, I would write offspring of David. Because here's what he wants them to remember. Remember Jesus, who is the Christ. What does that mean? Jesus, the eternal Son of God, risen from the dead. Christ, Messiah, the one who is the King, the offspring of David, who rules my kingdom well. In other words, what he's getting Timothy to remember here is the core nuclear reaction of the gospel. Jesus is the eternal Son of God, the creator of the universe. The creator of all things. The one who walked face to face in communion in the garden with Adam and Eve. This Jesus who covered their shame when he sent them out of the garden to go fill the earth as they had been commanded to do. This Jesus came and he paid the penalty for their sin by being killed at the hands of the Father to satisfy his wrath and buried so that all those who repent and believe can come to know Him, and He was raised from the dead to secure our resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Timothy, don't forget it. Don't forget Jesus, the eternal Son of God, killed for your sin and mine, buried and resurrected to life, so that we may be rescued from the wrath of God. Don't forget it. Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Christ, offspring of David, Huge here. Listen to this. 
Jesus fulfilled. I'm going to read you just a quote, and I put the footnote there. And so I want you to go. You can see. So I'm not cheating and stealing this. This is not. These are not my words. These belong to D. A. Carson. Love D. A. Man crush on him as a scholar. Jesus fulfilled the Davidic covenant. Yes, he did. The promise made to the, I, I said yes, he did. He didn't say that. I'm agreeing. The promise made to King David in 2 Samuel 7, 12 and following verses as the promise that is reiterated throughout the Old Testament. Significantly, it was after the resurrection on the road to Emmaus that Jesus explained, did not the Christ, that is the king from David's line, have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said and all the scriptures concerning himself. Memory, these are Carson's words, memory or remembering of Jesus' Messiahship invites the believer to see Jesus as the culmination of God's plan of salvation and to bow before Him as King. Timothy, don't forget, Jesus risen from the dead, Christ, King of the universe. King. And this is often where in our practice of the gospel inside the church, we leave off the kingship of Jesus. We focus on salvation from hell and justification, and rightly so, but we often miss king, ruler over his people. Eternal life, the rule of Jesus now. Listen, you if you're in Christ... Right? If you believe the gospel, repented of the rebellion, and come to Jesus, you are adopted as God's son. But now available to you is the present reality of knowing experientially the rule of the king of the universe over your life supernaturally. This, this is one, another reason we do Christian biography. It's because these cats lived in that. How do you explain Hudson Taylor's life Apart from the supernatural rule of Jesus, humans can't do that. Did Jesus not say, because I go to the Father and send the Spirit, greater things than these, speaking of His ministry, will you do? We often read that and we skip over those passages. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, crucified, buried, and risen, said that we, because of His rulership, through indwelling Holy Spirit in us, would do greater ministry than He Himself did while He was physically present. Do you believe that? Do you live like that? Do I? Do you understand Jesus said that? Now, you know, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. All of it. It affirms nothing contrary to fact. And Jesus said our ministry would be greater than His. You believe that? King. Yes, we are afraid. We don't, we're afraid of some stuff. The King of the universe ruling over you generaling the advance of His kingdom through you. This is why we talk the language of engaging your domain. Right? This is why we talk about Kingdom Disciples Society Church. The gospel of the kingdom, making disciples in domains of society, and in those domains the church multiplies and grows because you make disciples, because you have the supernatural power of the kingdom at work in you greater than Jesus had in His physical presence to multiply the kingdom. And Paul told Timothy in this church at Ephesus, don't forget, if you're to guard the gospel, it's Jesus risen from the dead, and He is Christ, offspring of David. And He rules over His kingdom well. Wow. Wow. So Jesus is Savior and He's King. He's Savior and He's King. And these components make up the core of not only what we're to preach, but how we're to live. Jesus saves sinners and He rules over those saved people as King over them well. When you walk in this room, listen, I want you to begin walking in here, tuning in to the reality that the Sovereign of the universe is ruler in this place. And He speaks to you supernaturally in your conscience, through other people, through gifting of other people. The King is sitting over this place well today. And everywhere else the church is gathered, the King is sitting well. Paul told Timothy in church at Ephesus, you're going to guard the gospel. These two components, you've got, you got to get that down inside of you and see Jesus as Savior and King. All right? Jesus as Savior and King. Certainly the gospel is multifaceted. And the components that we teach you how to articulate that, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, all come as part of that. 
But if we're going to guard it, save your king. Save your king. And by the way, if you proclaim those two realities of Jesus, I promise you, you will incur a little bit of interesting things. Jesus saves. Well, what about other gods? There are no other gods. Right? Jesus is king, right? He's king. This is, I hate when people say, make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. Oh, gosh. Vomit. You don't make Jesus Lord of nothing. He ain't waiting on you to make him jack. He's king. He's king. And he rules. And if you have to make him Lord, he's not Savior. He ain't waiting on you going, oh, I just sure hope they'll let me in today. <laughs> Like, I have to be careful on the social media. Because I want to... He's king, y'all. He's ruling the hearts of men today, even unbelievers. He's sovereign. Remember these two components. So, what are the implications of that? Well, the first implication is we're prone to forget the kingdom. We're prone to forget the rule of Jesus. And go with what appeals to the eyes, wrong desires, and self-promotion. We think about the church. We often think about the church wrongly. You know, so those components I just said to you come from First John two fifteen to seventeen when he defines what the world system is: the lust of flesh, lust of eyes, and pride and possessions. We're prone to forget the rule of Jesus. Listen, when it comes to the components of the gospel, what my eyes want, what my desires are, and my self promotion are irrelevant unless they're ruled by Jesus. Listen, I'm going to have some implications on this a little later. I'll go ahead and skip ahead a little bit. The church, you hear this enough here too, so don't forget, the church is not a consumable commodity that you come and get, and if you like it, you stay. If you don't, you go somewhere else. The church is not a commodity. She is the people of God. And I said is on purpose. I know my subject verb agreement is wrong, but there's theology in that. She is, because she's one. She is the bride of Jesus Christ, the people of God, who are for Him and for each other and are not to be consumed and eaten by outsiders who just want a product. So what that means is you commit covenantally to the body, you give to the body financially and in time and gifts. Why? Because she's Jesus' bride and through each other He's perfecting her for Himself. And if you pillage from that, Jesus might get you. Put your hands on my bride, I might kill you. And I'm not speaking in hyperbole. You come up the stairs at my house, it's a kill zone. I promise you, I'll ask questions later. Jesus' bride is more precious to him than my bride is to me. Remember Saul rode to Damascus? Hey, knocked him down. Why are you persecuting me? My church, me. It's as good as me. Let me save you, and I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. I'll show you how much you need to suffer for my sake. Remember the Lord's words to Paul? Don't think he won't guard his church. Don't forget the rule and the kingdom. What are some other implications? We're not to forget or give in on the facts of the gospel. Listen, there are all kinds of components and worldviews that will challenge the gospel. Not successfully, but they will present a challenge. Don't give up on the gospel. Don't give up on the good news. Don't, don't accommodate lies. Know it. Defend it. Live on it. It's powerful. We're to remember Jesus lives. You, you come, people often come and they say, man, you guys talk a lot about Jesus. What else should we talk about? He's kind of the point, right? Don't forget Jesus is king and he is alive. He is alive. He's not dead. He's not an example simply as a prophet and live your life like that and maybe you'll die well too like him. No, he is the living, reigning champion of the universe. He's got the belt, right? He rules. And I don't mean discount double check. I mean he owns all belts and he is crowned with them. We're to remember Jesus is the king that rules well and he makes all things right. And we can enter that kingdom and that rulership when we obey Him. Notice Jesus taught us to pray this way. Father in heaven, make Your name great. Bring Your kingdom. May Your will be done. Right? And then give us food. Right? Why? Because food is so we can do Your will. 
And then when we do your will, what happens? The kingdom is coming. And when the kingdom comes, who gets glorified? There you go. Right? So we often do our prayers weird, right? We start with food. We think food's just primarily for me. And, and as I abuse food and worship food, that's food for me. Food's not, that's not why God gave us food. Food is so I can do the will of God, have strength to obey Jesus. And when I obey Jesus, I step, step into the supernatural rule of the kingdom. And he does crazy stuff in advancing his great name and makes his name great. Number two, what are we supposed to remember? Verse 9, remember the gospel's power. Verse 9, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. And we've dealt with that already. But the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. Timothy, church at Ephesus, through his community church. We remember the gospel is powerful. The word is not bound. Transformation of the Roman Empire in spite of the church's severe persecution. Why? Because the word isn't bound. The word is not bound. Some boring reading, but if you really want to be nerdy, Justo Gonzalez, J-U-S-T-O, then Gonzalez, the history of the church is two volumes. Boring reading. Well, I don't think it's boring. Some of you might think it's boring. Fascinating reading. Get learn some church history, right? Learn some church history. Stephen Neal, History of Christian Missions. Read. I'm talking taking you back first, second, third century. Read. Because what you will find is the word cannot be bound. The more they try to stamp on the gospel, the more God advances his kingdom. Here's what you will find fascinatingly, where the word gets comfortable. The word's advance tends to slow down. Where it gets stomped on, it has a tendency to speed up. It's because that's God's means. We'll see that here in just a second. Word's not bound. No matter how they... Remember we did Perpetua a few years ago? Remember that? Do you guys remember Perpetua? These crazy people, man. Like they're willing to go to the lions and be eaten. Why? Because Jesus is better, man. I'm alive. Bring it on. Right? Can't stomp on the word. Can't stomp on the word. Not bound. Transformation of the barbarians, the Germanic tribes, who would then dominate the old Roman Empire, right? God then started saving the stinking barbarians and Germanic tribes. And then what happened there? They got comfortable and then God sent the Vikings. And what did God do? He saved the Vikings. And then what did he do? He took the Moravians from all that and sent them to the new world. And what would they do? They would preach the gospel to my people. And a class gambo will preach the gospel to my people in my line, the Cherokee. And they would book Chatsworth. Go up here and look at it. It's Spring Place Mission. One of the coolest things you'll ever see in your life. People drive by that all the time and never pay attention. Moravian, I don't know what that is. <gasps> the Cherokee Nation came to Christ because of that. Cool, huh? Right? Why? Because you can't bind the word. You can take their land from them, take my island out of the Hawassi River from me. Jolly Island, look it up, it's there. And, and, and send us out to Arkansas, but can't bind the word. It's impossible. Remember the gospel's power. Bears of the gospel may be shut down, but the message will never be shut down. They may take Paul's head, but you can't take the head of the church, Jesus. He's given his life, conquered death, and he sits over his church and he rules it well. And he generals its advance well. Even through the suffering of his people. Remember what we learned? The gospel of the kingdom is subversive like yeast and dough. Remember that parable Jesus taught us? The gospel of the kingdom is like yeast and dough. A little tiny microscopic thing, insignificant. But in, in time, it leavens the whole lump. Powerful. Gospels like that. As Father, Son, and Spirit, the Lord sent Joseph to Egypt to rescue his people in years to come and make his name known in Egypt. In like manner, our God sends his word even through the bound and unbound alike and spreads the aroma of Christ to all his appointed places. Don't despise the hard days. Psalm 105, read it carefully. The Lord brought the famine on the land and he sent Joseph ahead he sent Joseph. No, no, no. Joseph's brothers sold him. No, no, no. 
the Lord sent him through the deeds of his brothers. Thus Joseph will say in Genesis 50, 20, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. Meant it, what it, it, their evil deeds. God even sits, Jesus sits over the evil deeds of people. He doesn't do the evil, but he sits over them. And he has alone the power to take evil deeds and bend them for the good of his advance. That's the king, y'all. That's the king. That's our king. Isn't that awesome? That's our king. So therefore, Paul tells Timothy in church of Ephesus, don't forget the powerful gospel, so take heart. Number three, he tells him, remember to love the church. Verse 10, remember to love the church. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of Jesus. Is that what he says? Everybody look down at your Bible. Is that what he says? I just lied to you. Did you catch it? I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Comma that. Purpose clause. Here's why Paul says, I'm enduring this for the sake of the elect. Why? That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The elect here is the reference to the elect of God. I don't care where you land on that issue. We know where we land. We believe our Bible. It's there. Deal with it. Okay? Here's what I tell people. I'm just going to say it to you. If you're new and you're like, I don't believe in the doctrine of election and I don't think those people are. Here's your deal. When you get on a plane with me and go to our country, which I can't say because it's being recorded, and preach the gospel to the people we preach it to, you can criticize my theology. Until then, shut up. And that's what people, I don't think y'all, well, get on the plane, come with me. No, 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 that's dangerous. Well, then shut up. Sorry, that wasn't nice. He says elect, chosen of God. Deal with it, right? The elect, here's a reference, the elect of God, which is his church. That's been given to the Son by the Father. Go read John 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Given to the Son by the Father, whom Jesus secures through his life, death, and resurrection in order to receive them and keep them, John 17, and rule over them as a people from all nations. And Paul says here, I'm enduring this for the sake of the church, the elect, that they may obtain salvation along with that glory. That's what he says, does he not? Exactly. Listen carefully. Christian perseverance is a gift of the gospel... And has gospel effect in that it becomes a visual illustration of the message of the cross to those who didn't get to witness it firsthand. And it sees the elect rescued from darkness to light. This, this is why in the East you can't stamp out the gospel is because the more the world makes people suffer, the more the people see the work of the cross and innocent people dying for our advance. You smell gospel there? Jesus, innocent, dying that I might go free? God has built in suffering as a means by which we witness with Jesus and enjoy Jesus' presence and by which He makes a proclamation of the death of Christ so that He might proclaim to the elect who see, come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And what do they do? They flock to the gospel. Why? Because God has built into Christian perseverance a proclamation of the gospel that draws people so they may hear the message and be saved. That's the reality of the global kingdom. Paul's already stated, remember, that he views his imprisonment as Jesus' work. Remember chapter 1? And he endures then by Jesus for the church. Listen. You have to love the church to persevere through difficulty. Jesus loves his church and he suffered to rescue his church. And he calls us to that same as his ambassadors. 
So be willing to suffer for the sake of the elect. You never know who's in your office and your domain, who's a hidden people of the Lord. And they will be called out through the proclamation of the gospel from your mouth and from your willingness to suffer for what you say. Jesus works like that. And Paul reminds them here, I endure for the sake of the elect. Therefore, remember, love the church. Don't despise the day of suffering because they are good and they are divine effects built in for the glory of Jesus. Rescue of the church comes only in Christ and not any other means. He says here that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. So as you suffer and you preach the gospel, salvation comes through Christ in your proclamation. And this is a beautiful thing. Jesus bestows glory. Notice he says here that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is amazing. This is absolutely astounding. Eternal life is a present reality, not a future hope. Jesus bestows the glory of restored image bearers when he saves them. This is, have you ever read, C.S. Lewis, The Weight of Glory. If you had not read it, go read it. It's C.S. Lewis, right? Not too hard. The weight of glory. God bestowed glory on Adam and Eve, image bearers. We bear the stamp of God in our soul, although it's broken because of the fall. When Jesus saves people and puts His Spirit in them, He restores glory. The restoration of all things comes with the full restoration of glory in God's people. We dwell on this earth renewed, sin taken away, filling every domain for the advance of the kingdom forever. Right? Creation regained. And we have the full magnitude of the glory of God represented in these new bodies that we will have forever. When He saves people, He restores glory. Part of our job in loving the church and serving the church is seeing the restoration of the glory of God in individuals who love Jesus together. There's nothing more beautiful than seeing us love each other and the result on the face of a saint who's been encouraged and lifted up. There's glory present in that. Paul tells these cats here, love the church. Love the church. Work toward the salvation of the church and the restoration of glory in my people. Don't neglect the church. Don't hate on the church. She's still God's vehicle for the advancement of the kingdom. Don't neglect the church. And say this, I've had this thought walking in here. College students particularly, I want you to hear this. Don't use the church as a means of getting something that you're not willing to give away. Get involved and serve people because it's not just something to get. If you go out to eat, you have money. If you have money, you need to give. It's not your money. It's God's money. Right? And say that to everybody. Right? Don't neglect the church. Don't hate on the church. Serve the church. Give the church what is due the church. Not because it is a building, but because it's the bride of Christ. And glory is at stake in me and in others sitting around you. The restoration of the image of God and God's people. Right? And he says here, remember this trustworthy statement. Verse 11 through 13. If you're going to guard the gospel, Timothy, and the church at Ephesus, here's a trustworthy statement. And here's what he says. The saying is trustworthy. For if we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul's final counsel here to the church carries three encouragements and one warning. Three encouragements and one warning. This is either an old hymn, or it's an early piece of Christian poetry produced by the church. And, and here's just when you're reading your modern English Bibles, if it's offset and kind of like that is, if you're looking at it and it's not like in paragraph form, it's kind of offset, that's, that's English translation's way of telling you this is a piece of poetry. All right? And so this is either an old poem or it's an early hymn. And either way, it was used to encourage the church. It has three encouragements. One warning. The first encouragement was the first line. It's verse 11. And here's the essence of the encouragement. Remember your transformation. If we've died with him, we will live with him. What's interesting, there's verb tenses here. And I'm debating whether I should give you the verb tenses. Because 
I think I'll leave them off because I don't want to confuse anybody. But the verb tenses help us to understand what's going on. If we died with him, sort of a past tense thing, that is the language of Romans 6. We have given up our old life and we've come to new life in Christ. We've died with him. That's what baptism signifies, going to the water, signifying you've died to yourself. You've raised up and resurrected with Christ, new life. You know, We just did baptism class, so kind of fresh. right? If you've died with him, guess what? You're going to live with him. There is a future day in which life will ultimately completely be transformed and you're going to take off church so don't forget if you're with jesus you've died with jesus there's life awaiting you encouragement number one encouragement number two remember to persevere if we endure we'll reign with him both of these are interesting if we endure present tense reign future tense Remember to persevere. If you stay faithful today, it's coming a day, coming a day, coming a day, you will reign. This is the beautiful thing about the restoration of all things is we will reign over our domains. We'll have them taken back. And we need sin to pervert it. And we'll reign over that domain well with Jesus as our general and king forever. Right? So he encouraged them. Remember to persevere. Don't give up. Endure today. There's coming a day where the kingdom will come finally and completely and fully. So don't give up. The third encouragement comes after the warning. I'll give it to you first. Remember Jesus is faithful because we're His. Both of these are present tense. He says if we are faithless, present tense, He remains faithful, present tense. And that's really good news. Really good news. There are times when our faith just didn't want it all to be, right? You may want to agree with me there, confess, right? There are times I'm like, I don't know. And it's always present when I disobey Jesus. I just don't trust Jesus to do what He said He's going to do. So I think my way's better, so I'm not going to do what Jesus said. Like, right? Anybody walking in that boat? Right? Yeah, absolutely. If you're trying to obey His Word, you're like, eh, I don't know, man. That's going to bring some implications on my life, and I think my way's better. And I mean, we just go off and disobey Jesus, right? And so that's faithlessness. Let's be honest. That is not faithfulness. That's faithlessness. But you know what? The writer of Hebrews tells us he knows we're dirt. And that's why he's a merciful, faithful high priest. And he's able to sympathize with our weakness. He's been tempted as every way as we are yet without sin. And so therefore come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and help in this time of need. Right? He knows. And we're wrestling. What? He won't deny himself. Why? Because he's put his spirit in us. So when we're faithless, he's faithful. So if you walked in here today and the faith quotient was low, relax. He knows. I love the cry in Mark 8. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's the cry of the one whose faith quotient is low. Lord, I believe, but oh, Lord, help my unbelief. Warning, though. Warning, though, found here in the second part of verse 12. If we deny him, he will deny us. This smells like Matthew 10, 32 to 33, where the Lord Jesus said, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is distinct from faith quotient being low. There's a difference between I'm struggling obeying Jesus today and eh, I don't know him. I don't even think following Jesus. No, I'm good. Just don't take my head. Right? So the warning is remember, don't deny the Lord. And I think there are many applications here. And I didn't write a lot of them, I didn't write any of them down because it would take too long. But a denial of the Lord would look like being ashamed of the gospel in public. Let's just be clear. Listen, guys, the gospel is what transformed us. I'm not ashamed of that. People may not agree with me, but I'm not afraid to say Jesus changed my life. I'm sitting in the seat. The gospel was preached. Literally, I was warm on the inside, and my desire shifted. You can attribute that to whatever you want to attribute it to, but Jesus did that in me, and I give Him glory. I'm not ashamed to say that. I say that in board meetings at Department of Family and Children's Services because I serve our county and our city like that. I'm not ashamed to say that anywhere. I say that all the time. Because, hey, I don't want to stand before Jesus and go, nah, sorry, buddy. My, Jesus is my king. You can say that too, because the warning is, Timothy, Ephesus, if you deny the Lord, the Lord was clear. So encourage, 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 but don't deny the Lord. And finally, we close with this. Remember to worship King Jesus. Remember to worship King Jesus. If we're going to guard the gospel, good gospel guarding comes with people who love Jesus enough to worship Him. What do you read in the beginning of the Great Commission? 
they worshipped him. But some doubted. Right? Then he said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always in the age. What did they do before they got the command? They worshipped King Jesus. The King, resurrected, standing there before them. They bowed and they worshipped. You know what? If we're going to guard that message, we've got to be worshippers. I love to see the church in persecuted places not afraid to worship. Not afraid to worship. Why? Because... Why would I be afraid? He's my king. I'll die for my king. I love my king. My king loves me. Live as Christ dies, gang. Let's roll. Let's go. The body they may kill, this truth abideth still. Kingdoms forever. Let's go. That gives me goosebumps. Right? We worship King Jesus. Psalm 147 one says, Praise the Lord. It's the command. Praise Him for it. It is good to sing praise to our God. It is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but just we play, we're, we're turning the volume up a little bit because, hey, I ain't singing if I can hear myself. I ain't going to lie. That might be sin on my part, but I want to shout saying. I want to scream to Jesus. And if I scream to Jesus out loud when the music low, y'all will run because like, that guy, crazy. So the music's loud because dudes scream sing. If I catch any one of you dudes not being man enough to worship Jesus, you might catch me. So, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. I really am not. But listen, I do want you to hear this exhortation. Worship the king. David, who was a warrior and slaughtered men as a king, wrote these songs and he performed them before the Lord. It's manly to worship. And I guarantee you a man in this room could take David. He'd have your head before you could say, I'm going to done, right? He wrote these songs and he performed them before the Lord. Men stand and sing to Jesus. It is good and it is pleasant and it is fitting. So men, it's fitting right now to make much of Jesus. Ladies, you scream, sing too. You should walk out of here hoarse today because you made much of Jesus. I'm going to be in the back scream singing. If you want to come talk to me and pray with me, I'd love to do that with you. If you can handle my scream singing. But it'll be okay. It is pleasant and right to remember the gospel by singing to him.